Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. The algorithm, I guess it knows me too well and it shows me uh, a kind of video that, I, that I've enjoyed where there's like a, a, a you know, UFC fighter or a boxer or, or you know, maybe not wrestler, but you know, it's usually with, with a UFC fighter and the two of them are, are there's one who is really cocky and, and, you know, just really like showing off and saying, I'm going to destroy you basically. And then there's one that, you know, is always quiet, doesn't say anything. And then you get to the moment when the actual fight happens and the cocky guy, you know, he's, flaunting and, and just showing, you know, how awesome he is. And he gets knocked out by the, by the humble guy. And so, you know, I don't know why, but it is just so satisfying to see that, right? It's just so satisfying to see, yes, like the, the guy that, you know, that was uh, uh, cocky and proud and, and uh, finally got what he deserved. And so, you know, the reason why I mentioned this is because this is basically what we are going through in the book of Revelation. Remember that back in Revelation uh, 6, when the fifth seal is opened, remember that uh, the saints are there and, and the saints that have been slain for their testimony of Christ. And they are asking God, how long? How long until you avenge us? And so in chapters uh, 15 and 16, basically God is saying, now, it is now. I am avenging you right now. I'm finally giving your enemies, ultimately my enemies, I am giving them what they deserve. And so uh, let's, um, let's pray and then we're going to read chapter 16. God, we pray that you... Lead us this, uh, this evening as we look into your word, as we look into um, the book of Revelation, which is such a complicated book. But God, even uh, in spite of all the, the different interpretations regarding the, the chronology, the, the timing of events and things like that, Lord, we thank you that the truths about you about your justice, about your holiness, about your righteousness are so clear, God, are so evident. And thank you, God, that the, the, the exhortation to worship you, the exhortation to persevere are so clear and so evident there. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you speak to us today, that you teach us by your spirit, Lord. I pray that you guide me, help me to preach the things that you want me to preach, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's read uh, chapter 16. Revelation 16 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people 
who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnaw their tongues in, in anguish and curse the God of heaven for their pain and source. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they were assembled, sorry, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds, each fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. This is the word of God. So I have another confession to make. This one is more a little bit more serious. Up to this point, I think that uh, unintentionally, as, as we have been talking a lot about God's wrath, about punishment of, of, uh, of people, of evildoers, I have... I believe I have unconsciously kind of been tempted to uh, almost defend or apologize for God's judgment, for God's wrath. And, you know, while I think that it's important for us to 
wrestle with some of the things written here because they are extremely heavy, extremely uh, uh, sober, sobering. Um, the, the Bible, and, and specifically this passage here, verse, uh, chapters 15 and 16, are not really concerned with apologizing for God's wrath or, or explaining away God's wrath. These passages are actually a celebration of God's judgments. These passages are actually uh, basically, in short, saying God should be worshipped because of his wrath. God should be worshipped because of his judgment. And so again, don't get me wrong. I do think that we have to wrestle with some of these concepts, right? Of, of the punishment of evildoers, of, of the eternal suffering of God's enemies. But at the end of the day, we, we need to look at passages like this one and completely trust God, that he is a just God, that he is a holy and righteous God, and that when he utters judgment, our response should be worship. That when God judges his enemies, our response shouldn't be to question God, to question his goodness, or to try to explain away his, his wrath, but our response should be worship of him. One of, the, uh, one of the commentators that, I, that I've been reading as, as I prepare to preach Revelation uh, put it this way, and I think that, that God used this particular phrase to kind of to convict me of this, uh, um, of, of this that I'm communicating with you. This is what he wrote. The ferocity of God's judgments when they finally fall upon the insolence of rebellious man is not a problem to be apologized for. The ferocity of God's judgments is here celebrated. And we see that they, the judgments, are the basis for all the nations of men coming to their senses and streaming to the Lord of the nations, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why will the nations come and worship? Because the wrath of God has been made manifest. So ultimately, the wrath of God should bring people to repentance. The wrath of God should bring people to worship him. And this is what we see in these chapters. And that's, that is the main point that I, want to, uh, that I want us to see today as we look into the word of God. That God's judgments should lead us to repentance, if you haven't done so, if you haven't repented, and worship of him. I'm going to say that again. God's judgments should lead us to repentance and worship of him. And so I feel like I've done this multiple times where I kind of, you know, promise that, okay, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more detail into the, the, the trumpets and the, the, the seals and, and the plagues. But, you know, the more, the more I look into it, um, you know, I looked into different views that deal with well, when will this happen and, and will all of this be literal or is it, is it figurative of, of, you know, something else or did this already happen, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem or, you know, there, there are so many different views. And number one, to be honest with you, I don't even feel like I, I have fully 
adopted one view in, you know, uh, strongly enough to say, this is the right view and this is what I'm going to preach. But number two, one other thing that I have found is that as I was praying, um, even though the timing of things might not be as clear to us, the message that these passages are trying to communicate, the theological truths about who God is, about his justice, about his, his wrath, about his grace, about his salvation, are extremely clear. The timing might be weird and difficult to understand, but the truths about God's justice, holiness, righteousness, mercy, salvation, are impossible for us to miss. And therefore, I want to focus on those. Um, so I will spend just a tiny little bit of time talking about maybe you know a few different views of, of when these things will happen, but I want to focus most of our attention, um, or I want us to, to spend most of our time thinking about this idea that God's judgment should lead us to repentance and to worship of him. And here are some of the reasons uh, that I believe this passage provides. Uh, the first reason is that God's judgments show that he is God. The judgments of God, the judgments of the Lord are a way of showing that he is God. Not the beast, not the dragon, not Pharaoh, thinking back of, of Exodus and, and, and God bringing his, his people out of Egypt. But ultimately, these judgments show that he alone is God. As I mentioned uh, last Sunday, this passage is very closely related to the Exodus. This passage is very closely related to when God brought his people out of Egypt. God's people had been enslaved in Egypt. They had been uh, uh, serving the Egyptians. But God sent his servant Moses, his brother Aaron, and by a mighty display of power, he delivered his people out of Egypt. And he sent them 10 plagues. He sent Egypt 10 plagues to show his power and to deliver his people out of Egypt. And I think that, that this uh, passage here in Revelation is very intentionally pointing us back to Exodus, is very intentionally bringing our attention back to that story of Exodus. And so that's part of what I want to do today. And so, for example, thinking about Exodus, in Exodus 7, 1 through 5, this is the, re or this is the explanation that God gives to Moses and Aaron. This is what God says to them. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of, this land, of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So notice here how God could have just you know, wipe out the Egyptians, 
in, you know, in one snap and bring his people out of Israel. But God is saying, no, I am through this, through Pharaoh, through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, I am going to show the nations that I am God. Through my judgments, I am going to show the nations that I am God. And this is basically what he is doing in Revelation 15 and 16. Through his judgments, he is showing that he is God. Remember the song that, that, uh, that we saw last, uh, last week in chapter 15, verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord the God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The justice of God, his righteousness, his deeds, his miraculous works are meant to show the world, are meant to show the nations that he is God. And so thinking about Pharaoh, thinking about uh, how he hardened his heart, Pharaoh is like an archetype or, or some sort of a, uh, a, yeah, an archetype of the people described in chapter 16 of Revelation, right? Why do I say that? Well, because Pharaoh saw the signs of God, saw the miracles, saw the plagues, and what should have brought him to repentance only made him harden his heart more and more and more. As I was reading into Exodus, into the, the account of the plagues, I noticed something that I had not noticed before. Um, when Aaron and Moses first come into the presence of Pharaoh and, and you know, he, uh, Aaron puts his stick on the, on the floor and it, it turns into a serpent, the, the, the magicians of, of Pharaoh also come up with two serpents and the serpent of, um, of Aaron, the, you know, the, 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 the staff, ends up eating the two snakes. And, you know, I, I, I knew that, but there's an interesting detail. Actually, I want to find it and read it. Um, so it says, Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up, swallowed up their staffs. Still, and notice this, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So this was, we usually don't think of, of, the, of the serpent devouring the other serpents as such a big of a sign. Why? Well, because we have the, uh, the 10 plagues, right? And in comparison, the 10 plagues are, are immense displays of power. But if you think about it, that sign alone should have made Pharaoh repent. That sign alone should have, should have been enough for Pharaoh to say, wow, yeah, you guys serve a powerful God. I should, I should listen. But instead, he hardened his heart and it got to a point when even Pharaoh's advisor was like, Pharaoh, you're destroying Egypt. What are you doing? Just let the people go. But he would not let them go. And he led Egypt to its ruin because of his hardness of heart. And so, the reason why I mention this is because in Revelation 16, we are, we, we are 
we encounter the same kind of hardness of heart. We encounter the same kind of stubbornness that we see in Revelation. Notice what the people say um, in chapter 16, verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over the plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. So these people are extremely hardened against God. But ultimately, all of this is to bring, ultimately, all of this is to bring unrepentant people to worship him. Notice it says they did not repent and give him glory. These judgments should have led them to repent and to give God glory, but instead they hardened their hearts against God. Number two, the reason that we should worship God for his judgments is that his judgments bring salvation to his people. The song that, that we read together at the beginning of our gathering was the song that the people of Israel sang after God delivered them from Pharaoh and his army. This is a song that they sang after Pharaoh and his army drowned in the Red Sea and they were delivered. Why do you think that they were singing? Why do you think that they were celebrating the death of Pharaoh and his army? Well, because Pharaoh and his army, they were not coming to say, hey, can you please come back? No. Pharaoh and his army were determined to destroy them. Pharaoh and his army were going with chariots. They were going to destroy them. Pharaoh and his army, they were not these innocent bystanders that happened to get in the way of, of, God's, uh, of, of God bringing his people out of Egypt. They were stubbornly against God. They were stubbornly persecuting God's people. And so in the same way, we have the saints here in, in chapter 15 of Revelation who are singing praises to God, who are singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb, thanking God for his salvation. But if you think about it, they are thanking him because he is finally destroying their enemies. Look back at, uh, uh, let's look back at Revelation 6, verse 9. This is what happens when the fifth seal is open. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign, Lord, so, o sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So these people who had suffered, who had been persecuted, who had been killed, who had been slain for their testimony of Christ, they are asking God for justice. They are asking God for vengeance. They are saying, Lord, how long will they go on killing others? How long will they go on persecuting your people, rebelling against you? And God says, wait a little longer. The number is not yet complete. But he, he doesn't just say, well, you know, just wait indefinitely. 
because we get to chapter 15 and 16 and it says, this is it. This is the response to the question, how long? Well, it is now. Now is the time when he is judging his enemies. And again, these people in chapter 16, just like Pharaoh and his army, they are not innocent bystanders. They are not, you know, people that, well, you know, I just never heard the gospel. How can you judge me accountable? No, these are people that are fiercely against God and his people. These are people who are stubbornly in rebellion against God. These are people who know very well that these plagues are coming from God. And instead of saying, God, please forgive us. Please have mercy on us. They continue to rebel against him. And so these, the, the judgments of God bring salvation to his people. Whenever God brings judgment, it means condemnation for his enemies, but it, at the same time, it means salvation for his people. Therefore, when we see passages like this, we should celebrate, we should worship God because he is a righteous and just God who will not leave sin unavenged. We serve a God who is just, who will always take care of sin, who will always take care of evil doing. And so for us who are in Christ, for us who, who have uh, believed in him, who have received his seal, this passage should be a call to celebration, a call to worship of God. Remember what we read in chapter 14. This is a call for the endurance of the saints. But we get to second half of chapter 14. We get to chapter 15, chapter 16. And we see that this call for endurance is not forever. We see that God will finally put an end to the persecution of his people, to the suffering of his people. And he will finally avenge those who battle against his people. And something really, something that I, that, I, that I believe is very applicable to us and should be really encouraging to us is that God, along with, with the people who, who go, or God will destroy the people that are still against him, but along with them, he will destroy the dragon and the beast and the second beast. And this is extremely good news but ju because just like the people of Israel were so oppressed by Pharaoh, just, because, ju just like the people of Israel were enslaved to Pharaoh, they were under bondage. In the same way, this world has been enslaved to Satan for so long. In the same way, we used to be enslaved to sin and to Satan and, and, and we, had, we had no hope. We were without God and without hope in this world. But God in his mercy, he brought us to the kingdom of his son. And in his mercy, in his justice, he will finally destroy the dragon. He will finally destroy the source of evil. And this should be extremely encouraging for us. Because right now, even though we have been saved, those of us who believe in him, we continue to struggle with sin. We continue to see the results of evil in this world. 
We continue to see Satan at work deceiving people, deceiving family, deceiving our, our co-workers, deceiving our friends, bringing so much pain. And therefore, when we read passages like this, we should celebrate that God is not going to let that go unpunished, but he will actually destroy the dragon and the beast and, and the image of the beast, the second beast. Number three, God's judgments, God's judgments should bring us to repentance and worship of him because he righteously condemns those who continue in unrepentance. C.S. Lewis, the author of uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books once wrote, the gates of hell are locked on the inside. And the point that he was trying to communicate is that those who are being punished for their sin, those who are being punished by God, those who are in hell, those who are experiencing his judgment, are not, you know, innocent, poor people that are trying to get out of it. It's not like these people are seeking repentance and God is saying, no, I will never forgive you. No, these are people that even in spite of suffering and experiencing God's wrath, they continue in unrepentance. Look again at verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. So they understood that God was the one who had power over these plagues. They rightly understood that these plagues were coming from God. But what was the response? They did not repent and give him glory. Look at verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. And with the same tongues that they were gnawing, they, they cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. Again, they did not repent of their deeds. They were experiencing suffering because of their sin. They were experiencing the wrath of God, and instead of repenting and begging for mercy, they continued in their unrepentance. Same thing at the end of the chapter, verse 21. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. These people continued to curse God, to blaspheme the name of God. These are not people seeking forgiveness. These are not people trying to repent. Rather, they continue in their stubbornness, in their unbelief. And so I want to, as a way of application, I want to ask you, are you experiencing a, maybe a little bit of a taste of, of God's power, of God's wrath, of God's judgment? Remember that we, when we talked about the trumpets, right, the seven trumpets, they were partial judgments that served as a way of warning before the, before the bowls were poured and, and final destruction happened. And so 
my question for, for all of us is, are we aware of those trumpets? Is God warning us? Is God warning you about his wrath, about the judgment to come? And if he is, if you, if you, if you see, if you look around you, if you see what it, your own life, my, my, my plea is that you do not harden your heart like these people did. That you do not harden your heart and curse God when something bad happens to you or, or to a family member. That you do not curse God when you experience a little taste of his power. But instead that you turn to him. That you acknowledge his power. That you repent and that you worship him. Because remember, ultimately his judgments should bring us to repentance and to worship of him. Not to curse him. Acknowledge him, repent, worship him right now that there is still time to repent. So I want to spend just a little bit of time talking uh, about, you know, different views as the, uh, uh, pertaining the timing of these things. Um, Basically, I understand that I, there are three main views, and I will briefly just mention them and then and then draw somewhat of a of an application or a conclusion there. But um, if you want to know more about these views, uh, please come talk to me. I can refer you to different resources, to different books that you can read, and and uh, you know decide on your own which view you want to adopt. But basically. Uh, one of the one of the views that I that I uh, that I have studied is that uh, these things are uh, things that already happened in history, specifically in 70 A.D. at the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, I want to say that that view is actually when when you read it, when someone explains it really well, it's actually very appealing because uh, one nice thing about history is that. Well, I mean, I, of course, you can alter history. You can, you can lie about history. But ultimately, history is something that already happened. It's not malleable. So you, can, you have history. You have uh, history books. And you can compare what happened. And you can compare it with Scripture and say, oh, yeah, like some of these things actually seem to match. So there are people that argue uh, these seven plagues are the final destruction of Jerusalem. And so this already happened. Now, there's another view that would say, no, actually, none of this has happened. All of it is going to happen in the future. At the very, very, very end of the age, this is what's going to happen in the future. And each one of these things will happen literally. In other words, the sun will literally scorch people. And uh, the Euphrates River, the actual Euphrates River will literally dry and, and kings will come from the east. And, and basically, they, they would take all of these things to be literal, but things that will happen in the future. Now, there's another view that takes most of these things as not necessarily being literal, but actually being, uh, uh, being symbols that are trying to communicate things that happen throughout the history of the church. Right, so basically, you could you could divide these views in terms of 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 time, right? You could say 
Some believe that these things already happened. Some believe that these things are currently happening, although, although not literally, but symbolically. And some people believe that those things will happen in the future, literally. Now, to be honest with you, I'm still wrestling with this. And therefore, I'm not ready to say, this is the one view that I hold, and this is the one view that I'm going to teach. But I do want to encourage you to look into it. Because ultimately, this is, this is God's word. Right? We don't get to say, ah, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. That's, that's too complicated. I'll just find out when, you know, when we get to heaven or whatever. Because number one, I mean, the book is called Revelation, right? So God was trying to reveal something. And if he left us his word, if he left his word for us to read, I think he wanted us to look into it. I don't think he just wanted us to happily ignore what he left. For us, so I do encourage you to look into it. Um, but I do want to dwell a little bit on some of the things that happen here. So uh, the first four uh, bowls are things that affect people directly, right? They either uh, they have sores or they are uh, uh, scorched by the by the heat, or the water is turned into blood, and so they cannot. Basically, they can't drink the water or they're probably drinking bloody water. Um, but then we see that in, in verse 10 that the fifth angel pours his bowl and the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. So we, we see that there is one bowl that is affecting the beast directly and is bringing darkness, whether it be literal darkness or 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 figurative darkness, it is bringing darkness to the kingdom of the beast, to the enemy of God. Um, and then we see that the, the river Euphrates is dried so that the kings of the east can come to the battle of Armageddon. And of course, Armageddon, right? It's a buzzword. Everyone uh, talks about the Armageddon. Um, but one of the things that I notice is that this drying of the river Euphrates is very similar to other times when God has dried bodies of water, right? Remember, the, especially thinking about Egypt, especially thinking about God bringing his people out of Egypt. Well, he dried, in a sense, the Red Sea so that his people could go across safely. But the other part of this, other than for his people crossing safely, was so that he could punish and destroy Pharaoh and his army. So this drying up of the Euphrates, Euphrates River almost seems similar to the, to the drying of the Red Sea in that God is almost inviting them to come across the Euphrates River into the, uh, into the Mount Megiddo, the Armageddon, and they are gathering for battle against him. But what they don't know is that this battle means their demise. This battle, even though they are, they are gathered together and they are going against God, against his people, and they all want to destroy God's people. Well, the reference to Armageddon, to the Mount Megiddo, is a, is a biblical reference. It's like, uh, you know, think of a battle that everyone knows what the battle is about. Like, I don't know, the Battle of Waterloo or, sorry, I didn't grow up in the U.S. I don't, I'm not very versed in American history, but think of a historic almost proverbial battle. And so this is, I, I believe that this is what, what 
the passage is doing is, is bringing people back to all of the battles that happened in the valley of Megiddo. And it's calling them to remember, okay, what happened in those battles? Well, in those battles, there were huge armies gathered against God's people. There seemed like there was no hope for God's people. It seemed like God's people on their own, they could have, they could have never defeated these huge armies. But in the Valley of Megiddo, God, every single time, interceded. God fought for them. God fought on their behalf and he destroyed their enemies. And so this is the same thing that is going on here. God's enemies are gathering together against him. He even dried the Euphrates River for them to go across. Just like he dried the Red Sea for Pharaoh to go into the bed of the sea. But ultimately, this meant that God was fighting for his people. And God continues to fight for his people. And God will ultimately fight for us and deliver us. Now, there's a warning here for God's people, right? Verse 15 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. When God was about to free his people from Egypt, he told them, you have to be dressed. You have to be ready to go. Keep your sandals on. He gave them all of these preparations, all of these things that they had to do. They, basically, they had to be with all their luggages in their hands and ready to go because whenever God sent the last plague, Pharaoh was going to kick them out and they had to leave right away. And so I believe that this exhortation is saying we have to be ready for the return of Christ. We have to be ready for that moment when Christ comes in judgment of his enemies because this means deliverance to us. And, and, and we can think of uh, passages in the Gospels and in and, and, and Thessalonians where we have the encouragement to be ready for the return of Christ, for the deliverance of Christ. We have to be ready. We have to be obeying his commands. We have to be following him. We have to stay awake. And so I believe that's the exhortation for, for, for all of us, for the readers of Revelation, for us, for all believers. We have to be awake. We have to be obeying Christ. We have to be following him faithfully, ready for his return, ready for his salvation. Finally, again, thinking of the book of Exodus, thinking of this story, there is something very important that happened between the ninth and the tenth plague in Exodus. God gave them the Passover. God gave the people of Israel instructions to kill a lamb, to cook it, and to spread the blood of the lamb on their doorposts in the lintel. And basically, whenever God would send his angel of death, the families of the Israelites, they had to take cover under the blood of this lamb. They had to hide under the blood of this lamb. And that would protect them from the wrath of God. 
that would protect them from the 10th plague. If you think about it, any Egyptian should have been able to say, hey, I believe, I mean, God has destroyed our entire civilization. And he is now saying that he's going to strike the firstborn of every family. I would talk to my Israelite neighbor and say, can I please go spend the night at your house? And I wouldn't be surprised if many people did. I don't know. We don't have those details. We don't have that information. But the point here is that it was the blood of the lamb that would cover people from the wrath of God. And so just, just like we're seeing here in Revelation 15 and 16, we have a huge display of God's wrath. We have potentially the final display of God's wrath, the full measure of God's wrath. But the beautiful thing for us is that he has provided a Passover lamb. The beautiful thing is that he provided his son, Jesus, as the lamb. And just as the blood was spread on the door post and the lintel, the blood of Jesus was spread on the cross. And everyone who takes refuge under the blood of the Lamb, of Jesus, can be saved from the wrath of God. This is the amazing news. This is the news that we preach every single Sunday. This is the news that hopefully we live by. That we were spared from the wrath of God because of the blood of his son, Jesus. This is the truth that we hold on to. This is the basis of our salvation. No one could say, God, please don't don't kill my firstborn. I'm I'm, I'm such a good person. I've I've obeyed you. I've followed all of your commands. But I don't want to be inside my house when this this happens. I I don't want to kill my lamb. I don't want to spread the blood. No. God gave clear instructions. You have to kill the lamb. You have to spread the blood. And you have to be in the house. You have to cover yourself. You have to hide under the blood of the lamb. And so in the same way, none of us can say, God, but I've been such a good person. And and I've, I've tried to do good whenever I can. I've tried to redeem myself. Why are you sending these plagues on us? Well, God has given clear instructions. You have to take refuge under the blood of his son, Jesus, the lamb. He has graciously provided for us a way of salvation. So may we always worship him for his righteous acts of judgment. May we always worship him because he is holy. He is just. May we never shy away from speaking about his wrath, or may, may we never try to explain away or apologize for the wrath of God. Because it is through his wrath that he shows his mercy. It is through his judgment that we are able to see his grace for us in saving us, in providing a solution for our sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, the Lamb of God. 
We praise you for your wrath, for your justice, for your acts of judgment. And we praise you for your grace. We praise you for your, for your patience, for your calling all peoples to repent and to turn to you and to worship you and to give you glory. God, I pray that as we learn these truths about you, I pray that you would give us a greater zeal to proclaim your gospel, especially knowing that those who continue in rebellion and unrepentance will suffer these things. And I pray that also you work in our hearts, especially uh, those who continue in unrepentance, that as we experience warnings of your judgment, as we experience the trumpets, that those things would bring us to repentance, to faith in you, Lord, before it's too late. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that you have provided, Lord. We worship you and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.